see here. All right. Well, just uh, good morning to you and uh, welcome to the firehouse. Um, trying to see what impact the daylight savings would have on the service. It seems like uh, our setup team was larger than it's been in a really long time. And I think that's due to daylight savings. That's awesome. Um, the other thing I realized this first service might in some ways be called the, uh, the Bronco service. Uh, some people, I've, I've heard a few, hurry up, we've got to get to the game. So uh, no guarantees on when we'll get you to the game there, Thomas. So, uh, no, just joking. <laughs> Not to mention any names uh, specifically. Um, but uh, what else do we have? Um, you know, I realized here with uh, just a little Bronco talk here for a second, um, how many of you like having Peyton Manning as a quarterback out there? Anyone? Can I get an amen? I think it's great to have Peyton Manning. I think he's doing a great job. But there's one problem about Peyton at quarterback as compared to Tebow. You know, um, before I think there was a legitimate case that you could make when the Bronco game was going and you're watching Tebow. You could substitute a Broncos game for going to church. You can make a case for that. But now that Tebow is elsewhere, nobody can claim, hey, I was watching Tebow play. It was a very spiritual game. Uh, no, we don't sell that excuse anymore around here. So, But we do pray for the Broncos still. We're excited to have Peyton leading the way there. But anyways, we're going to go ahead and pray and jump in. And just uh, one thought before we pray. We've got a handout that's going around here. I uh, hope you get a handout or um, and a pen. If you need one, we've got a box of pens floating around here. I think Andrew, Andrew, you got the pens? Yeah. They're two for a dollar, I think, this morning. So uh, talk to Andrew if you need a pen. No, they're free. Um, but one thing I, I want to give a little disclaimer before we get started here, kind of like I did last week. Last week we talked about the road less traveled as it related to marriage. And I wanted to, everyone to kind of go, hey, look, even if I'm not married, this can apply to me. Well, the same would be true today. You know, in some ways we're talking about the road less traveled as it relates to the single life. But just going over these truths and being refreshed in them myself, I realized that most all of these truths apply to us if we are married as well. And so if you're here this morning going, well, yeah, been there, done that, I'm not single anymore, um, you know, let's, I don't know, get online and check the game, the, the pregame stuff here. Um, don't do that. I think God has something for every one of us here this morning. I'm, I'm convinced of that. So I hope that you will have that expectation to hear from God um, in your in your world today or this morning here. So let's pray. Let's ask Him for that. And we'll jump in. Lord Jesus, we do want to look to you this morning and, and we want to hear your voice this morning. And Lord, I know that you have things you want to communicate to every one of us. Lord, I know there's things you've been speaking to me on this subject. And um, God, I just ask you to help us. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to be freed from distractions just for a few minutes here this morning. God, and whatever we hear from you, Lord, help us to apply. Help us to respond to. Help us not just to be nudged and um, leave that here as we walk out the door. But God, I, I pray you'd bring our thinking more and more in line with you. Help each one of us to be living that life that, of following you, a life of, of complete and total passion for you. Um, and God, I just ask you to help us in that this morning. Um, and we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are going to look, you know, a quick review of the Road Less Traveled series. We started out um, probably, I guess it had been five weeks ago, uh, Rick Whitney kicked off the series talking about parenthood and some things related to the Road Less Traveled for parents. Then we did um, part two, was a, we did a panel of moms, kind of a 
moms in the hood or real life stay-at-home moms of the Denver Highlands. Um, then we had uh, the dad time the following week. I think it was the, what was it, the dynamic dad duo there, Rob and Greg Miller. I think they're, they've started off a, a new career here, a new ministry. I don't think they're here this morning. They started a whole new world up for them, that, uh, that humorous duo of dads. So, uh, um, no, then we had, uh, we talked last week about um, marriage and the road less traveled as it relates to marriage and honoring marriage and God's definition of marriage between one man and one woman and God's design for sex to be occurring only within marriage as a way to, to honor God's design for marriage. And today we're going to talk about some things that relate to the single life, but, but I, again, I think... These things relate to um, to all of us. And we'll start, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me here. We're going to take a quick glance at some verses um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. When it comes to, to singleness, um, this is probably a chapter that uh, you can get a lot of thoughts out, out of it. We're, we're going to just use this to kind of set the table. And then we'll jump into uh, some some other points here. But the Apostle Paul is writing. He's writing about the subject of marriage. He's writing about the subject of singleness. Um, and he's got some thoughts in here that um, you know that are, are worth just thinking about as as we jump into this. But we'll start First Corinthians chapter seven. Just we'll start at the beginning. We're going to breeze over just a few verses to catch the flavor and hopefully the the heart of what we want to talk about this morning. But verse one, it just says. Um, now for the matters you uh, now for the matters you wrote about it was it's good for a man not to marry, um, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each wife her own husband. Uh, the wife should fulfill uh, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Goes on to say. Uh, uh, verse 7 here, Paul says this, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. You know, Paul's speaking to, I wish that everyone would, would stay single like he was, is what he was saying there. Um, but it goes on to say, you know, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. He goes on to say uh, kind of more of the context about this. Uh, if you skip ahead to verse 26, um, let's see, 26, 27, 28, he says, uh, because of the present crisis, you know, and I think he's talking about persecution of Christians in that time, in that day and age, and how sometimes when you, when you get married, there was a chance, a very real chance, that you or your spouse would be martyred for your faith. And there was a... You know, he was kind of saying, hey, you want to sign up for this or not? But, you know, he says this uh, as well. He says, um, but it, of the, because of the pre- present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Um, so, you know, he's just saying, hey, look, marriage, marriage is fine. In, the, in certain situations, you might go, boy, do I really 
do I really want to sign up for all that this could bring? Um, you know, and he says that there will be troubles in marriage, and you know, we could do a whole teaching on the troubles of marriage, um, and you don't need to hear that. Sometimes people hear a lot about the troubles of marriage. We could do a whole teaching. Um, I had fun this uh, this fall up at the Rock Retreat with a bunch of single people and college people, and I, I told them, you know, a lot of times you hear the woes of marriage, the troubles of marriage, but I want to tell you some of the benefits of marriage and proceeded to get on a soapbox, I call it the the married sex soapbox, and all the advantages of a good, healthy marriage and the sexual relationship that God has designed. And the words I used to describe that whole soapbox was um, mind-blowing. And and we could get on that soapbox, but we won't. Um, We'll get you on the Broncos game here. But anyways, uh, that's the context. And we're going to close with uh, setting the table here. This passage, um, 32 through 35, um, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. A married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. Uh, And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord, both in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, I really love Paul's heart there. He's saying, here's some things to think about related to marriage, related to singleness. And he's saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not sharing these things with you to kind of, um, you know, kind of make a bunch of hard rules for you to jump through in the Christian life. He's saying, I'm sharing some thoughts with you about the advantages of marriage, the advantages of singleness, because I want you to live in that phrase there, um, in an undivided devotion to the Lord. And I just want to start there and just say, you know, when it comes to the road less traveled, as a single person, uh, in this phase of life, you have a chance to have a devotion to the Lord that is different than any other phase of life. You know, as he goes on to say, when you get married, you have another thing to think about. You have to think about your spouse and pleasing your spouse and the role that you have as a lover who seeks to please the one your spouse. And so, um, and he says your interests are divided. And he doesn't say that's a bad thing. And now, as a married person, you're going to be in sin the rest of your life. And nobody does say you're going to have something that is going to distract you from a wholehearted devotion to the Lord when you get married. And he's saying to single people, you have a chance. You know, just because you're single does not mean you have an undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, I hope we all know that. But he is saying when you are single, you have a chance to live in a wholehearted, um, pure passionate relationship with God that is different than any phase that will come after that. And I want to make sure we catch that. And I also want to make sure that, um, you know, we don't think, well, boy, I had a wholehearted passion when I was single and now I'm married and i got kids and, you know, I've got a lukewarm heart for the Lord. I have got a lot of complacency and apathy because I was on fire back then because that's when you're supposed to be on fire. My hope is that every one of you has a greater passion for the Lord Jesus Christ than you've had in your past. And I think God wants that for me and He wants that for each one of us. But if you're single, you know, you need to know there's an opportunity, a potential here that I believe the road less traveled is single men and women Christians who taste of this life that Paul's talking about. A lot of people know about it. A lot of people can take doctrinal tests about that life, but not a lot of people experience it. And my hope is that we would have disciples, Jesus-centered disciples here, that experience a life in the single phase that is different than all the other Christians out there that are um, experiencing the normal Christian life or the nominal Christian life. So, uh, anyways, let's uh, uh, one point as we transition from there. You know, single, 
Single does not mean alone. I want to make sure we define that. Living single does not mean living alone. You know, sometimes we can go, well, I'm single and I'm just independent. I do my own thing. Um, and you know, if you think of the Apostle Paul, I just love to see his life. Paul did very little alone. If you read the scriptures, I mean, I love the fact that Paul, when he's in prison writing people, he's usually right next to a buddy or two in prison because he didn't even go to prison alone. You know, he was always with other people and he was single. But he didn't live life alone. The Christian life is not designed to be lived alone. A couple verses on this. Um, most of us know Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. It just says, Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. If you're living a single life alone, woe to you when you fall, when the devil takes aim at you and knocks you down and you don't have anybody there to pick you up. Um, another one, uh, this proverb here is a very challenging one, Proverbs 18.1. I've shared this recently at our, our guys' time Saturday morning, but um, it says this, Proverbs 18.1 in the New American Center, I love how it puts it. It says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. When you separate yourself, when you isolate yourself, uh, when you do things alone, you have the ability, the, the NIV says, you defy all sound judgment. There's a way when you get alone and get isolated, you do things that you would never do when someone's with you, whether it's a, you know, your spouse or whether it's a roommate, whether it's just a close Christian companion. Um, and we have to beware of isolating ourselves. Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs for a reason. He could have said, hey, you go this way, you go that way, but he sent them out in pairs to have that companionship, to have, many of them were single, but they were not alone. We have to watch out for that danger. I love this. You know, Hebrews 13, 3.13 says, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When you're doing the Christian life with others, uh, whether it's roommates, whether it's a spouse, you know, the, God's design is that there should be an encouragement there, a safety from the deceitfulness of sin accumulating and, and messing with our thinking. And we just need to make sure that single life, single life it doesn't mean doing life alone. Uh, the other thing you have to be careful of if you're married. Sometimes it's easy to go, oh, I'm married, I'm never alone. Well, you know, I think of Thoreau's quote on uh, many men live lives of quiet desperation. You can be married and you can still be alone. In many cases, I think of guys who had accountability and other men in their lives when they're single and they get married and they no longer have accountability partners and they have things that uh, they don't share with their wives and maybe shouldn't share with their wives, but it's easy to be alone and married. And may that not be the case with any of the marriages in our church. It's not meant to be done alone. It's meant to have companionship and, and there's a safety and a security that comes with that. So anyways, um, we're going to look at four points here on ways that um, we can have that, that single single-hearted passion for Jesus. Four secrets, I would call them in some ways, uh, not because nobody's discovered them, but maybe they get easily forgotten. We've heard about them before. The secret would be actually doing them and living in that blessing. But we're going to look at these here. So, um, okay, verses there. Oh, there's that verse there and that verse there. Yeah, I forgot to push the button. Sorry about that. Uh, let's see here. Let's keep going. Um, and so this, uh, this first point here, let's put a couple of these verses up here, but um, I'm going to just say one of the secrets is that we need to guard. You need to guard your heart for Jesus. You need to guard your heart. If you want to have that road less traveled, that passionate relationship with Jesus Christ, single, married, whatever, we need to guard our hearts. A couple of these verses, you know, Jesus, when he spoke about the greatest commandment, the greatest 
thing that uh, a Christian should be thinking about, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But he said, we're to love God with all your heart. Not part of our heart, not some of our heart, not a good portion of our heart, not when we're single only, but with all our heart. This proverb here says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I think another uh, translation says that uh, your heart affects everything that you do. And God thinks it's precious and needs to be guarded. It's the wellspring of life. It's the control center of your life. And it's for your relationship with God. And there's a few things we need to guard it, um, guard it from. Uh, you know, one thing I just think about, there's other, other lovers. Just like in a relationship, if you're married, you know, we, we are in a uh, committed, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And just like you would expect your spouse to be faithful to you in a marriage, there is an expectation that God has for you to be faithful to Him in your relationship with Him. But there's other lovers that would want some of our heart, maybe just a little bit here and there. And anytime you translate that into marriage, you go, yeah, you know, my wife has all my heart, but 10% of it, you know, kind of is going towards the secretary, or, or 10% over here towards one of the neighbors. And most of us would go, oh, that's creepy, that's wrong. But when we think of a relationship with God, we go, man, God's got 51% of my heart, that is pretty good. You know, imagine if that was your relationship with your spouse. You know, that, that would be borderline or maybe beyond borderline adulterous. Um, and so, but God, but we get those other lovers. And here's some things we have to watch out for. Some lovers that would like your heart. Some lovers that might have a piece of your heart already. Money is one of them. Some fall to the love of money. Also, you know, the things that money can buy. Materialism is someone that wants a piece of your heart. Um, some love pleasure. You know, we, we live, we're tempted to live for pleasure. Whatever brings me pleasure, that is my God. You know, another term for that, you might know the term hedonism. Living for pleasure. Pleasure is what matters most to me instead of God. Another thing is we can live for ourselves. Boy, I'm an individual and it's all about me and I'm so unique and, and we can live for ourselves. Another word that describes that love for self is called narcissism. It's all about me. I want to be in control of my life. I want things my way. Me, me, me. And that is a lover that can get in the way of our relationship with God and giving our whole heart to Him. Another is a love for others. You know, we go, well, that seems like a good thing, right? Well, I mean, I'm talking about love for others in a way that's um, not healthy, that's not Christ-centered, in a way that's just like narcissism is all about self and loving self. There's people, and there's a great independence there that is an error. But there's also when you love others in a way that's kind of a codependence. You depend on the feedback they get you for loving them. You, you have a need to be needed. And, and it meets a need. In some ways, it's a way of worshiping other people and, and what you get out of that. And again, that's, that's an error. That's sin. It's spiritual adultery. You know, anything in our life that uh, takes a piece of our heart that belongs to God. God wants it all. He deserves it all. But anything that is in our life that has our heart, you know, it's idolatry. And we just have to watch out for these idols all around us. Anything that we have a hard time. I've heard idols defined as something, something that you cannot say no to. Uh, it's an idol in your life. If you go, boy, I really know this is wrong. And, but when tempted, I just, I just can't say no. You know, imagine how that would play out in marriage if you just, boy, I just have a weakness for women. You know, boy, I just can't say no. Well, that's, that's going to be a horrible relationship. It, won't not, it will not be faithful. It will not be pure. Why would we think our relationship with God is any different when we can't say no to things that grieve Him and His Spirit? You know, so we've got to guard our hearts. And it's not just about what we guard our heart from. It's what we guard our heart for. 
you know, we have been given a heart to have a loving relationship with God. I think of this verse here um, from Paul. He writes Second uh, Corinthians 2 and 2 and 3. And he says, For I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God Himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. You know, Paul is just concerned that... Um, God has a right to our hearts. He has a right to all of our hearts. And when we give our hearts to other things, um, it is, it is, there's impurity there. There's lack of devotion. There is, um, you know, I, I think that the Bible uses the term adultery a lot. If you read the Old Testament and the New, um, God talks a lot about it. It was like you were committing adultery to me. He says that to his people often. It's like you were being a whore, a prostitute. Very strong terminology throughout Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You know, that terminology shows up in the New Testament as well. I think if James is right into these people, James chapter 4, and he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? And that His Spirit uh, longs for us to be faithful to Him. And, uh, you know, God thinks of these things in terms of a relationship, in terms of a uh, committed relationship. And He doesn't want us... You know, sometimes I think, um, as it relates to being faithful to God, you know, your heart is, is, is as important in, in being faithful to God as in like a reg- in a physical marriage. Your sexual organs and being faithful to your spouse. There's places that uh, your, your sex... Intimacy, your sexual intimacy is designed only for the marriage, for your marriage. Uh, and anything outside of that is sin. It's wrong. It's out of bounds. Scripture over and over again says your heart is like that in your relationship with God. And the places you let your heart go, the places you take your heart, God calls it adultery over and over again because it's as important, our heart is as important to God as, as our physical intimacy is to a marriage and being faithful there. And there's something to chew on there that we don't have enough time to go into all that. But it's a very serious deal in God's mind, what, what goes on in our hearts, where it goes, where it doesn't go, and who it's for. Uh, I think about some verses here. Um, you know, this one in Jeremiah. You know, he says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. He, he just talks about, boy, I remember when you first loved me. Some of you might know this verse in uh, Revelation. It talks like this a couple places. Um, Revelation 2, it says, But I hold this against me. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You know, what was the, the first love that they f- was forsaken? You know, I think Jesus is speaking. There. Sometimes they go, yeah, that first love for God, that first love for, I don't know, Christianity or for the church. No, Jesus is saying, I remember when you first loved me. When you started this whole journey following me. You responded to my love and we began a relationship. And I remember what you did when you loved me at first. How devoted you were. How pure, how passionate. Here he's writing to a church. He says, I, I want you to love me again. You've, you've slid away from that love, that pure, undivided devotion. And I don't care whether you're single or married. He, Jesus wants us to have that first love again. The Message Bible puts that same verse like this. Turn back. Recover your dear early love. No time to waste. For I'm well on the way to removing your light from the golden circle. But turn back. Recover your dear early love. Men and women, have you had a time in your life where you had a, a more dear love for Jesus? 
because that's not the way God wants it to be. Maybe you were like, when I was in college, well, I remember the days when I loved Jesus and I spent time seeking Him and in fasting and prayer and it was so awesome. You really think God wants you to have any less for Him now? Do you really think, yeah, you know, I've settled into a complacency, a lukewarmness. I go to church. I bide my time before the Bronco games. I do my dues at small group on occasion. Um, God wants so much more than that. He wants your love for Him as it was in the early years. And if you've never had that love for Him as in the early years, it's time to get that love for Him and understand how much He loves you and respond to Him with everything that you've got and clean out that heart of any adultery, any cheating, any idols there. And so but we've got to, we've got to catch that. You've got to guard your heart from things and you've got to guard your heart for the one who loves you. You're, you are the beloved and your lover has rights to your heart. All of it. And let's look at this next secret here. That's uh, kind of the guarding your heart secret. This next one is, I call it catch, catch the family secret. You know, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, there's always the family secret. A lot of connotations for that are bad. And this, the connotations for this are not bad. I think it's a family secret again because there's some truths about a family of followers of Jesus that are a secret and they should not be because they're, they're really not secret in the scriptures but it, I think the experience and the living them out can sometimes be like yeah I know that but the secret is doing that and experiencing that and one point Jesus you know you know the classic story he's teaching his disciples he's in a house and someone says hey your mother's outside and your brothers James and, and uh, Jude and, and Mary they're out there waiting for you Jesus and Jesus said you know you want to know who my true brothers and sisters and mother are and he says, my brothers and mother are, are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Sometimes we think, you know, family, what is it, blood is thicker than water. True, you know, we know that, yeah, boy, family is tighter than non-family. But Jesus showed, modeled something to us that, that his family, that the spiritual family is thicker than that of blood. His blood is thicker than the blood of any of our families, you know. And, and he, he modeled that. He lived it out. And there was a very real family life of those who wanted to follow Jesus. They were brothers and sisters and they wanted to honor their father. And, and we're still aiming for that today as a church. I hope you know. But I do think we, we miss that a lot. Um, he goes on to say, By this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. You know, I think of the, another verse. Some of you might know Galatians 6. It says, Do good to everybody, especially who? Especially the lost, right? Now do good to everybody, especially the family of believers. Sometimes we go, you know, the most important people out there are the lost. You know, I've got to spend my time with the believers. They're going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Good luck to them. But the lost are really important. You know, the scriptures, the New Testament says, hey, do good to everyone, especially the person sitting next to you. Especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Especially your spouse. Especially... The family of believers. You know, and that, I'll tell you, living that out is the road less traveled. We aim for it, but it's sure harder to do than doing good to others that, you know, boy, I just want to get you in the family of believers. We love you. We share the gospel. We'll just lay down our life for you. But once you get in the family, then I'm offended at you all the time. And I don't like serving you, picking up your mess. And, you know, that's not the way the Christian life is supposed to be. The best is for those who are in the family. You know, it's only the family of believers that are going to heaven. Um, and we want to get people in the family, but we want the family to be a good place to come to, right? Uh, and, and we need to pray for that. We need to work for that. But the family secret, you know, I think uh, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a few specific ways I, I think we need to make sure we don't miss. One is love your brothers and sisters in Christ with honor. 
and purity. You know, I love this passage. When I was a young believer, I came across this passage in reading in 1 Timothy 1 and 2, and I took it pretty seriously. It just says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly. Exhort him. Encourage him. Um, aim for his heart as you would your father. Treat younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Now, how are you supposed to treat, how do you treat moms? There can be a little error there. We go, oh, I know how to treat my mom. They're disrespectful and da-da-da and thinks she doesn't know what she's talking about. No. Scriptures, they're talking about uh, treating an older woman with honor, with respect. Um, not how mothers get treated in a lot of circles today. Uh, treat younger women as sisters. Oh, I can do that too. Treat sisters. Treat my sister like a punk. I know how to treat women like punks. That's great. They're probably used to that in their families. No, it says treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Could have just said with purity. Just treat them pure. Watch out for the sexual impurities that might come into that relationship or, or tempt you in that relationship. It says even more than purity. With absolute purity. That's the way you're supposed to relate to a brother and sister in Christ right here. And I go, okay, well, this is totally not how I was brought up, but I saw a church family living this out in some of you in Fort Collins. And I go, this is awesome. I see the scriptures that they're trying to live out. I'm jumped right in. Changed all of my relationships with men and women and younger women and brothers. And it's something, if you get a taste of it, it's awesome. It's really awesome, but it, it's, not, it's completely uncommon in the sex-saturated society that we live in. Treating brothers and sisters with purity and honor is uncommon in the church in America, I hate to say. There are churches that it's not a big deal. They don't aim for this. That's written for someone else. Or, or I like this verse, but I don't like that one. May that never be the case in the firehouse church. Another thing we have to watch when you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you have to love them without playing favorites. You know, sometimes we go, I love everybody, but I especially love that one right there. Boy, I really love their, their personality. It's, it's so amazing. Um, but, you know, and that's, uh, sometimes people, um, they have reasons for, for playing favorites. Anytime in Scripture when someone played favorites, what happened? Well, people got hurt. Most people got envious. Some people were led to try to murder someone else because someone else is getting, they're getting someone's full love and someone else is getting the scraps, the leftovers. And God's family, may that never be the case. I don't care the size, the shape, the personality of a, a man or a woman. They are called to receive the same amount of love from you and from I, regardless of their shape, regardless of their spirituality, their personality. Uh, we are to love people equally without playing favorites. You know, James has these verses here. There are some verses in Timothy as well that I like, but um, I, I think these are even more broad than that. Um, James 2.1, the NAS, or the NIV puts it like this. My dear brothers, as, uh, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, don't show favoritism. The NAS says, um, uh, let's see, do not hold your faith with an attitude of personal favoritism. And we know the story goes on to talk about some who are wealthy and some who are not. And if you treat a wealthy person one way and someone without money another way, the same is true in a lot of different ways. Boy, they have a lot of personality. They have a lot of physical attractiveness. And may it never be the case that you show love differently because of certain things like that. It goes on to finish that passage. Verse 9 says, But if you show favoritism, you sin. And you're convicted as lawbreakers. Because we're supposed to show God's love to everybody without our own personal biases on it. And let me tell you that again, men and women, is a road less traveled. To be a disciple who shows the love of Christ equally 
to brothers and sisters, regardless of the things we like, the things we don't like. It's very natural to single someone out. And you know, that, um, you know I think that often leads to uh, um, other sins. It leads to temptation. It leads to, you know, if you're, you're really trying to go, I'm, I'm going to treat everyone with love and um, not single them out. I think you'll find people being, sometimes the, the, the way the world operates, you really like someone, you kind of show them your attention, show them your affection, you hope to somehow get them isolated into a situation that leads to temptation, leads to sexual sin, and the next thing you know, just another statistic of immorality in the United States, in the church in America. Um, but that's, that's not the way it's meant to be. That's not the Christianity that I've experienced. That's not the Christianity that we want in this church. We want to show everyone God's love. And now, now I do say this. You want to play favorites? You know the best way to play favorite with someone you find really attractive? You marry them. You marry them. They could be your favorite for the rest of your life. You show God's love equally with everybody. And if you find that special one, well, there's a whole category of scripture and things related to that. It's called marriage. And you want to, you want to play favorites? You want to have that special dance partner or whatever it is? Go marry them. The rest of your life, they are yours. You can get to know all that you want about them, stay up late night talking, talking about all their favorite interests and passions. It's, it's for marriage. We are a pro-marriage church. I want to let you know that. You want to get married and it looks like that's the right thing to do and we would be glad to do your wedding. I've been a part of between doing weddings, being in weddings, things like that. I, I lost track somewhere along the way, but it's 30, 40, 50 weddings I've been a part of and I'd be glad to do yours. Um, but you want to play favorites? You want to treat someone with special attention, hurting the feelings of others that you're not doing that to? Please don't do that here. Please don't say you're a follower of Jesus and do that here. That, that's not how a family is designed to live. That's not how Jesus treated people and his, his band of brothers and sisters and mother. No, there was a real, a real love there. And, and that's what we want at this church here. And I hope you sign up for that. I, I hope that's what you're looking for. It's the family secret. Again, you know, we want a love that protects. This 1 Corinthians 13 just says that, um, you know, love believes all. But it talks about love protects. We want to protect our brothers and sisters. Sometimes people ask me, protect from what? Well, protect from sin, for one thing. Protect from flesh, another thing. Protect from... There's people that come into churches that go, Boy, I look like a sheep. I talk like a sheep. Underneath, I'm a wolf who's looking for the next sexual... You know, the sexual um, sin, the sexual relationship. And we want to protect this family from, from wolves and sheep clothing. We want to protect this family from the flesh. We all have got a flesh... I used to be a prayer of mine all the time. Lord, protect me from the flesh uh, of my sisters here. Protect them from me and my flesh. God, give me absolute purity. Boy, we could probably pray that more and more as a church as well. The family secret. We need to just live as brothers and sisters in Christ with, with that love. Um, next thing we have to do in, in all of this is, um, you know, I think about whether it's maybe you're a single person and you're trying to trust God for that right person. You know, God, I, I want to be married to that right person. Maybe you're, you know, Paul says, I wish they were like me, that, uh, that they had this gift of singleness. Well, it's very rare in my experience that I've seen someone who had the gift of singleness. Um, and so, you know, I pray for, for the people in our church for singles, as, as many as you I know by name. I pray that God would give you 
a spouse, uh, the right spouse for you. I pray that God would give you an awesome marriage. When I go through my prayer list, I pray for some of you by name and related to that. My hope is that that's what God has for you. Now, if you go, boy, I just don't have a desire to get married. I don't struggle with the things Paul's talking about there. Well, praise the Lord, you know. Paul lived a single life. It felt very fulfilled and a very full life, and he was never married. Uh, Jesus, you could say, had a very full life, I guess. He was never married, you know. Um, so maybe that is not for you. For me, when I became a Christian, there was a, a period of time where I thought, you know, I love Jesus. I love His people. I love telling people about Him. There was time where I wondered, you know, maybe that's not what God has for me. Maybe not. And you know what? If not, I'm very satisfied in this life. Over time, I feel like He, he uh, you know, showed me as I prayed and, and sought things out. It seemed like there was a desire to get married. Eventually, there was a desire to marry this young woman named Morgan. And God brought that all about. But the point in all of this, whether you're going to get married or not, um, you need to be trusting God. You need to give it up to God. Give it up to God. I think of the Proverbs uh, 46.10, just, or Proverbs, Psalm 46.10, it's the one that says, Cease striving and know that I'm God. You want to get married? Great, that's an awesome thing. Give it up. Give it up to God. He'll take care of it. And, you know, and that's not just for marriage. That's about you, you want to, for, for your future, for your job, your career, for everything. We need to be men and women who give it up to God. When it comes to the road less traveled, uh, following Christ in a way that is full, following Christ in a way that is fruitful, do you want that? I want that. You know what we've got to do? Give it up. Give it up to God. We've got to trust Him to bring it about because that's the only way it's ever going to happen. We need to be men and women who are walking by faith. You know, um, I, I like to tell people when I counsel them related to marriage, you know, we need to be trusting God for His best and His timing. You know, the verses up top here says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. You call yourself a disciple, you're trying to follow Jesus, and if you not have areas of faith in your life that you're trusting God with, you're missing out pleasing God. We've got to all be trusting God with things um, to be able to please Him. Believe that He exists and that He'll reward us. um, The other thing it says here, anything that does not come from faith is sin. Boy, if you're you're single and you're like, ah, you know, gee, I wish I was married or da-da-da, but there's no faith, there's sin. You know, we need to be in faith if you feel called to singleness. You need to be in faith if you feel like... God wants you to get married. Uh, I've, I've talked to some single, single people in our church, and there's a few times where I'll catch someone that says, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to be married or not, but I know right now I'm satisfied in my relationship with God. And, and He might have marriage for me, but they're in faith right there where they are now. And that's what we need. That is a road less traveled. A lot of people just go, I assume I'm going to get married. I just go into marriage. No faith applied. The road less traveled is not getting married. Lots of people get married. Lots of marriages fail. No, the road less traveled is trusting God along the way. And that's what we're talking about. Um, I know some, some verses for me that I had just really applied faith to. One of them is this Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your heart. Are you enjoying your relationship with the Lord Jesus? Are you sharing your heart with Him? Are you seeking Him, spending time with Him, worshiping Him, praising Him? He says, I'll take care of the desires of your heart. You desire to get married? Well, you're investing in the right place. Him. You know, um, this promise here, 633, uh, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and, and these things will be given to you as well. You know, these promises are not just for the single life. You want to be living a, a, the road less traveled in any phase of life. 
Where's your faith? What are you trusting God for now? Because that's where you will experience uh, His fullness and, and the road less traveled. And um, you know, so I hope that that you are walking by faith. So the last point we're going to look at here is just um, is just this. You know, um, this verse we've seen a few times, but be a man or a woman on your God-given mission. Be a man or woman on your God-given mission. You know, a lot of people get married. A lot of Christians get married. They go from single Christians to married Christians. And there's a lot of people that never do anything on their God-given mission of reaching the world with Christ, of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Marriage is not the mission. If you've gotten married, I hope you've figured out by now, marriage is not the mission. It's got to go somewhere else because, you know... uh, some of you have been married for a really long time, and if marriage is just the mission, the mission would have been over a long time ago. Um, but marriage is not the mission. It's, the mission is reaching the world with Jesus, starting right here in the Highland neighborhood. And don't, don't expect that if you get married, all of a sudden you're gonna, you have this person you're in love with, and your heart's just enraptured with, and, but, but now you're going to start thinking about reaching the world with Jesus. Really? I think you'll probably have, like the scripture said, you'll be a little more distracted than you probably were before. If you're not on the mission now, men and women, when are you going to get on the mission? And if you're married and you figured out marriage is not the mission, it's time to get your marriage on a mission, reaching others with Jesus, um, starting right where you live, right in your own Jerusalem. I, I think we need to make sure, you know, we, we talked last week, marriage is to be honored. We honor it by using God's definition, one man, one woman. We honor it by realizing that sex is designed only for marriage. Um, and sometimes, you know, I think the difference between a boy and a man, some of you might have heard the, different, uh, the, the definition before one description says, um, a boy is one who you need to take responsibility for. A man is one who takes responsibility for others. Uh, and some of you, man, we need to make sure you're a man on a mission. A boy wants someone to take responsibility for them. You figure out my finances, my career, my future. You figure it out for me. And then they want the benefits at the same time. A lot of boys out there want the benefits of a sexual relationship with another without stepping in to being a man and taking responsibility for a woman. Um, Be a man on a mission, not a boy who others are taking care of and yet wants the benefits at the same time. Like it says, uh, all all adulterers and... and, uh, Sexual and moral will be judged by God. We looked at last week, Ephesians, I mean, Hebrews 13. Um, the last thing is just uh, the road less traveled. I've been at a couple bachelor parties. If you've been to a Christian bachelor party before, they're really different than other bachelor parties, right? Uh, I don't know if you've been to both, but the ones I've been to, they're very two different worlds. They're two different things that you go, really? Doing that before you get married is going to play out well for you later? I, I don't get that. Um, but, but a lot of times, a Christian bachelor party, at least in our circles, it's a really encouraging thing. And, you know, it's kind of like, I, I see that as like a, it's like a living eulogy. You know, you go, you get all these guys around you, and they all say nice things. You know, it's rare in a Christian bachelor party where they say bad things about you. you know, but it is kind of strange. It's like, you know, eulogy is for when you're, die, you know, it's like you're just getting married, no one's dying, but, um, but I've been at different, you know, usually at a Christian bachelor party in our circles, you, the standard thing, you have some good food, you have a time for fun, time for faith, encouragement, praying for someone, and a lot of people say a lot of nice things usually. Again, I, I haven't met someone that goes, oh, I hate this guy, but I'm glad you're getting married, you know. Um, but, but I've been to some bachelor parties that were men who traveled, that road less traveled as a single person. 
They were men that, uh, as people were sharing thoughts, they weren't just nice thoughts. Oh, you were a nice roommate. Thanks for washing my dishes. Oh, you were a nice... I've been at bachelor parties where men said, Thank you for sharing the good news about Jesus with me. Thank you for being there for me through these hard times, these hard choices. My life has changed because of you. I've seen bachelor parties where they go around the circle. I remember one that I went to and young man after young man was crying because of the life that this other man lived while he was single. He left a legacy of Jesus-centered disciples. That's the road less traveled. A lot of people get married, um, but not a lot of people leave a legacy because of what they did with an undivided devotion to Jesus Christ. And my hope is that every one of you would be ones that leave a legacy. And my hope is for you, if you're married and you're not in that phase and you didn't have that sort of bachelor party, you can still leave a legacy of people's lives that are changed because you pointed them to the Savior and you helped them have a relationship with Him and follow Him for the rest of their lives. My hope is that that would be the legacy of all of us and that would be the road less traveled. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do, again, just thank you for this time. God, we thank you for the way of life that you showed us, that you had recorded by your disciples. Lord Jesus, I I just pray you'd awaken something in each one of us to be disciples like the ones that first followed you, the ones that had to count the cost, the ones that had to give up things to follow you, the ones that where you drew the line and said uh, they could not even be your disciple unless they hated others in comparison to their love for you. Jesus, I pray you'd make us a church full of your disciples as you define it. God, help us live the road less traveled, a road that gives you our undivided devotion, that we'd have a single passion for you, a road that lives as um, brothers and sisters in Christ with honor and purity and love. God, a road that is by faith. God, help us also to be men and women on the mission that you've given us. Uh, We ask for your help in all this. We need your help in all of this, especially in this generation. But Lord, help us in this. Mark us, change us, make us more like you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this week, you guys. We look forward to seeing you for one service next week, 10 o'clock, a time uh, talking about vision and maybe our journey of following Jesus together. Thanks.